Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in German Studies. I'm Julia Stetter, your host, and today we'll be talking to Luisa Banki about her new book, Post-Catastrophic Poetics, Sebald and Benjamin. It analyzes the relationship between Sebald and Benjamin and offers a new way of understanding Sebald's narratology. As Sebald was an important German writer of the late 20th century, who among other topics dealt with the Holocaust, Banki's new approach is highly relevant for German literary studies. Ms. Banki, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Um, I wonder if you could start by telling us a bit about yourself, that is what and where you studied, and how you became interested in the relation between Sebald and Benjamin? Yes, of course. Um, I studied comparative literature in Munich, Jewish studies in Oxford and European literatures at the Humboldt University in Berlin. Um, I then wrote my PhD on a scholarship from the German Research Foundation in a Graduiertenkolleg, so that is a research training group at the University of Konstanz. And the book that we're talking about is actually the published version of that PhD project. Um, I started reading Sebald relatively late, that is after his death, and initially unaware of the boom <laughs> that was developing uh, within the field of literary criticism about him and his work. I've always loved his writing, still do, and was struck from the very beginning um, by the ways and the complex ways in which his writing resonates with that of Walter Benjamin's. So issues such as melancholy, remembrance, the present's relationship to the past are, I think, only the most palpable ones. But there's more, much more that connects these two thinkers and writers. And um, what I think was a first interesting realization when I started working on that project was um, that the obvious proof for this connection between the two. So, for instance, in the form of uh, traditional methods of intertextuality is not as abundant and more importantly, maybe not as interesting as um, many and certainly I initially thought. Um, so I did do that. I did go to the um, Deutsche Literaturarchiv, so the archive where Sebald's estate uh, is held, and I did go through that. But ultimately, um, I argue that the relation between Sebald and Benjamin is one that can only be brought into focus, um, as it were, by a philological as well as a philosophical reconstruction of Benjamin's thinking within Sebald's writing. So the task um, that I set myself was to trace and to interpret the adaptation and the literarization of Benjaminian concepts and theorems in Sebald's writing. And the task was to include the underlying analysis of the historical conditions of literature. Because if you You could say that the sort of smallest common denominator between Sebald and Benjamin is, in fact, their conviction that the theory of narration and the philosophy of history are inextricably linked. Let's go on with the title of your book. Um, could you explain in the first approximation what catastrophic and 
post-catastrophic mean in the Sebald Benjamin context and how it is linked with Sebald's narrator? Yeah, sure. Um, so I just said that the relation between Sebald and Benjamin, I think, needs to be examined by way of a philosophical, philological reconstruction. And the, the nodal point of this reconstruction in my study is actually the concept of catastrophe. So it is one that for both authors has a both narratological and historical philosophical dimension or maybe put differently, it is especially this concept of catastrophe that points to the necessity of conceiving of them as always already linked. So Benjamin thinks catastrophe as historical philosophical blindness in the face of ruptures as continuity. So the famous quote obviously is, dass es so weitergeht ist die Katastrophe, that things are status quo is the catastrophe. And this ontological definition of catastrophe is, is taken up by Sebald and is doubled by him by countless references to, to individual, empirical, you could say ontic catastrophes. So heuristically put, Benjamin's idea of catastrophe is being juxtaposed by Sebald with countless realizations of catastrophes. So in this doubling, I think, has to be accounted for in the analysis of Sebald's writing, and it is what I aim at with my conception of post-catastrophic poetics. And this poetics is post-catastrophic because it is both situated within a paradigm of catastrophe, so its continuity, and after the catastrophe that can then have different dates attached to it. So for Sebald, it is uh, the Second World War and the Shoah. For Benjamin, it is the First World War. But then it also appears in Sebald as slavery in the Congo, as natural disasters, and as many others. So Again, catastrophe is doubled. It is an ontological conception and a historically datable singular event. And post-catastrophic poetics, as I understand it, is a way of showing this doubling in literature. It interrupts catastrophic continuity. The Zibdaldian narrator um, is, is central in this because he's the means of connection of the ontological and the ontic catastrophe, the level of the continuity of catastrophe and the level of, of single individual catastrophes. So growing up, as is repeatedly stated throughout the works and throughout different works during the post-war years, he is, as it were, um, come too late. So and as a consequence, he can only approach the enduring presence of the past via its present traces, which do, of course, not allow for any secure relation to the past. So he's continuously exposing himself to, to fragments and traces of, of other of past lives, um, traces of which he, as is well known, he finds in, in objects, in building, in remnants. And most importantly, he's exposing himself to the enigmatic address that issues from them. And I argue that this address that the Zabaldian narrator feels is emanating from objects and traces is, is crucial. He's often, and often also in a vague identification with, with his uh, author, read as a, me a melancholy figure. He's forever identifying with the loss of the past, forever unable to give up the lost object. And my argument has been that another attitude besides melancholia can be discerned in Sebald's works and can and should be brought to bear on our understanding of his writing. 
namely that the enigmatic address emanating from the traces of the past concern the narrator. And this certainty that the traces of the past concern him presently, that he is exposed to them, causes not only his labors of researching and reconstructing the past, but also symptomatically determines how he does so, Namely, he's continuously drawing connections between fragments of the past, between past and present, between the present and the present observer himself. And this way of viewing everything as connected to everything else, and most importantly, to himself, is a structure not of melancholia, but of paranoia. The Zibaldian narrator, I argue, operates under a paranoid delusion of reference. Okay, so to sum up, uh, at first you said that there are um, two manners of catastrophes, right? So that on the one hand, there's the um, ontological catastrophe, mm -hmm. which is some kind of um, state of life, a catastrophe which is, uh, so to say, always present. And on the other hand, there's the, there are the ontic catastrophes, and these are um, specific historical events? Absolutely, yes. Oh, okay, got Absolutely. it. Yeah, and this is, I think, what is um, sort of the, or in, in, in my view, this is the central uh, point in Zeba's relation to Benjamin, that he takes up the Benjaminian ontological conception of catastrophe and then doubles it. Um, doubles it by way of uh, representing countless individual historical historically datable catastrophes yes absolutely okay got it so um <laughs> your study is divided into uh, three major parts and the first one analyzes readability the second one narratability and the third one writability um could you develop what readability is by referring to your example of rembrandt's painting the anatomy lesson of dr nicholas tulp Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first off, the, uh, this terminology is, of course, uh, heavily influenced by Samuel Weber's work on Benjamin. And I draw on his conception of Barkeiten to construct uh, three concepts, three possibilities, abilities, and also conditions of the verbs that are modified by them, namely reading, narrating, writing. And then these three concepts structure my analysis and, and interpretation of Sebald's writing. So readability um, is the name for a mode of perception that Benjamin terms reading, a mode in which perception and interpretation are not separated. So readability shows itself or appears suddenly in the moment when the material presence of the object suddenly somehow appears and then separates perception and interpretation, thereby necessarily turning the mere materiality that itself, of, of course, uh, does not mean anything into a cause for interpretation. So simply put, um, if we differentiate between the reading of a word and the perception of the letters that make it up, readability refers to the appearance of the letters. And the example that, you're, that you uh, refer to is, is very revealing, I think. Um, it is in The Rings of Saturn that Sebald constructs a rather complex scene in which he brings together Rembrandt and Descartes and Thomas Brown on the occasion of the painting of Rembrandt's famous The Anatomy Lesson of Dr. Tulp from um, 1632. And without going into too much detail, one of the, the, the clues of that scene is that the 
is the narrator is convinced um, that the corpse's dissected left hand is in actual fact a painted right hand. And he fantasizes that this is not a mistake, um, but a willful inter- interruption of the composition on Rembrandt's part. And this interruption, the narrator thinks, is um, visible because the open hand is in fact taken straight from an anatomy book and inserted into the painting. And the point is that he interprets the hand, namely he interprets it as Rembrandt's secret feeling of solidarity with the hanged man over against the guild members and the the state power. And, And so in his eyes, the hand means something. In a word, the narrator reads the hand as a whole, as a unit of meaning, and not as composed of different material elements, which in this particular case are especially perceptible as there are uh, white lines uh, representing the sinews running through the open hand. So just as letters are not read individually in a, in a word, so here too the lines vanish in the viewing of the painted hand as a whole. And what the Sibaldian narrator focuses on here and everywhere, what he exclusively perceives is meaning, not the materiality underlying it. And um, I guess this reading of the hand um, you just mentioned Mm -hmm. has also something to do with um, his paranoia. You also already um, said something about it in your introduction. Yes. And so so, um, the narrator just um, simply seems to find meaning in all sorts of events um, that are not really connected, um, as I understand it. Um, could you tell more about this by giving giving another example and also clarify why paranoia is relevant in the context of readability? Mm-hmm. You, you're absolutely right that he, he does find meaning in, in all sorts of events. But the point is that for him, they really are connected. So he perceives meaning everywhere. And he tells stories of his attempts to get to the bottom of these perceptions. Um, and that means that the, the, the structural principle of his narrations are his perceptions. Everything is connected with everything else. And most importantly, with him. And This is how his narrations become complex webs connecting dates and places and figures and images and texts. And his constant movement, famously, he's a a traveler, he's a promeneur solitaire. So his constant perception of connection can thus be um, discovered or understood as a delusion of of reference, a, a paranoid formation. In the terms that um, I use in, in, in my analysis, the narrator quite literally overlooks the level of readability and remains stuck on another level, which I term uh, narratability. So simply put, again, he reads only words, only meaning, not letters, not material elements. He remains stuck, if you like, on the level of connections, of, of meaning, of narratability, and disavows the underlying um, readability. So um, I'm not quite sure you just talked about the delusion of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, is he uh, an unreliable narrator because of this delusion or is he reliable? In, in, in a way, absolutely. No, in, in a way, absolutely. But um, of course, it's a little um, complicated. So Sebald's narrator is in in different books and to different degrees, but generally speaking, a fairly dominant figure. So just think of the the great pains he takes to ensure that even in cases where he seems to give up the first person narration to a protagonist, the frequent and and remarkable uh, uses of, for instance, the inquit formula. So to the extent that you often find formulations like he said that she had remembered that he had said, etc. 
So at the same time, though, um, as I've already indicated, the narrations are, are structured by his perceptions, and these are time and again thrown into doubt. So take Schwindelgefühle, Vertigo, uh, for instance, where the narrator is at one point um, not only drawn into the conviction of following a crime case, of being hard on the heels of a, of a crime case, but um, of then suddenly being in the focus of the criminals himself. He cannot escape his, his impressions as everything, literally everything and everyone he encounters is immediately interpreted as being in connection with other perceptions and thus constructing without his, his knowledge or consent an ironclad web of reference, a paranoid delusion of reference. Um, and this, I argue, um, is undercut in a way um, by the Zebaldian text. So for us as the readers of the narrations of the Zebaldian narrator, yes, there are moments of, uh, of doubt, of unreliability, when other possibilities of understanding or interpreting the perceptions appear. And so we are in a way um, made aware of the constant uh, effort of interpretation that the Zebaldian narrator undertakes. I see. And um, another dimension you deal with is narratability. And here, among other issues, you um, discuss Sebald's and Benjamin's interpretation of Alfred Dublin. Although there are similarities between both authors, uh, Sebald's and um, Benjamin's conclusions about um, Dublin are quite different. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, maybe first of all, so narratability um, is the dimension of, of meaning, right? The level of connections that the narrator sees everywhere, because as we've <laughs> said, everything is, is meaningful to him. And it is this level of the narrator and thus the level where Sebald makes most of the central choices uh, concerning questions of, of representation and of representability. Um, now, regarding regarding Dublin, um, I do indeed think that Sebald's view on Dublin is, is telling also in regard to his own poetics and also in regard to his relation to Benjamin, um, because it, it really is the point where Sebald most notably differs from Benjamin. Dublin offers both Benjamin and Sebald an opportunity to reflect on the possibility of narration in a time of crisis for narrativity. So the the end of storytelling, right, is, is Benjamin's famous um, expression for this. So Benjamin, for example, in his famous review of Berlin Alexanderplatz, um, is enthused by Dublin's radical poetics. Sebald Not so much. <laughs> he writes his dissertation on Dublin and is very critical of him. Um, incidentally, pretty much as critical as established Dublin scholars then were of his published dissertation. Um, so Sebald accuses Dublin of, of numerous things, um, but most importantly, perhaps, he accuses him of what he calls an addiction to brutality and, and gruesome depictions. Um, very, very succinctly put, uh, my argument is that his often scathing critique of Dublin uh, stems from Sebald reading him not within his historical context, but by judging his writing and its effects in the present, um, in his present. And, and that means with the knowledge that he has of the forms of violence that linguistic and otherwise uh, came to dominate the 20th century. 
So both Sebald and Benjamin re read uh, Dublin as, as responding to the crisis of storytelling. But whereas Benjamin at the beginning of the 20th century can still be convinced that Dublin has, has found a way to renew storytelling, Sebald at the end of that very same century cannot. He sees Dublin's poetics as possessing what he calls a, a mythic quality, um, which he ultimately connects to the mythomania of, of national socialism. So my point in, in reading his dissertation on Dublin is that already in this very early work, he is led to the question of the possibility of representing the catastrophic and to the both aesthetic and political uh, implications of that question. Mm, yeah, so time has changed between um, Benjamin and Sebald, of course. And um, so your last dimension for analyzing Sebald is writability. So maybe you could um, also say a bit about that because we've already talked about readability and narratability. So now the next one would be writability. And mm -hmm. could you explain this uh, third dimension and uh, why this third dimension is also needed? Yeah, sure. So the um, the... The way this uh, works, I think, is that um, readability is the um, mode of the materiality, as we've, as we've said, the, the letters. The narratability would be the level of the meaning. And writability um, shows itself, if you like, in the difference between the first two. So what it does is it dissolves the uh, richness of meaning of narratability and lets us see another kind of narration. And this works maybe a bit like a, like a flip-flop image, where the obvious within the narration suddenly and, and singularly, differently in each reading, so differently for you than for me, um, tips and, and tilts and reveals the possibility of other possibilities of meaning making. So in a way, writability um, separates, splits readability and narratability. It differentiates um, the identity of text and narration. And this is why, in a, in a way, um, what I do in, in, in my book is I read Sebald's texts against their narrator. Okay, Ms. Banky, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, it's an important book and I can only recommend it. So thank you for being with us. Thank you very much for having me.